Welcome to our teaching today, where Christ's Word is the center of our world. We are about to listen to the undiluted Word of God from the throne of grace with Pastor Philip Ransom Bello. Praise God. All right, let's go straight into the Word of God. Um, this evening, I'm going to talk about crowns and rewards. Crowns and rewards. If you have your Bibles, Romans chapter 14, verse 10. Romans chapter 14 verse 10. Romans chapter 14 verse 10. So we're going to start by, But why do you judge your brother? Or why do you show contempt for your brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Somebody say the judgment seat of Christ. Okay, it says we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. This is called the Bema seat of Christ. For those of you who um, are conversant with some of my teachings, I've differentiated between the Bema seat of Christ and the white throne judgment. Um, there are two kinds of judgment, basically. And the first is the Bema seat of Christ. And then the second is the white throne judgment. So let's say the Bema seat of Christ, the Bema seat of Christ, the second one, the white throne judgment. The Bema seat of Christ is a judgment for believers, not for unbelievers. Okay, so um, you are not being judged to decide your fate in heaven or hell. That's not why you are being judged in the Bema seat of Christ. Do you get what I'm saying? Okay, but this seat or this judgment seat of Christ is a seat or judgment seat of rewards. Okay, so the Bema seat of Christ is a judgment seat of reward. So can you say after me, say rewards. All right, let's keep on verse 11. For it is written, as I leave, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. Verse 12. So then each of us shall give account of himself to God. Now Paul is saying, each of us. So this means that he's talking about believers. He's not talking about unbelievers. Did you get it? Okay, so he's saying each and every one of us will give an account um, of himself to God. Verse 13. I think I'll just stop at verse 12. Let's see Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. Therefore, okay, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. You see that again? We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done whether good or bad. Okay, there's a lot of um, um, question about this scripture in the sense that is the believer going to be um, um, rewarded for the bad things that he did? Okay, because this seat is basically a seat for the believers. In fact, if you appear before the Bema seat of Christ, it means you have already made heaven. Okay, so your your salvation is determined by the cross, not by this judgment seat. So when the Bible is talking about judgment for the believer, he's not talking about where your sins will be revealed. No, he's talking about the judgment of your works. 
Okay, it's talking about the judgment of what? What did I say? Of your works. It's talking about the judgment of your works. I want us to say it together, okay? Because the more you say it, you sound it into your own ears and you learn faster, okay? So it's a judgment of what? Of your works. Everybody's still not talking. Is the judgment of what? Better. I prefer that response, okay? Is a judgment of your works. Not a judgment of um, your faith in Christ. It's not a judgment of if you believe in Jesus or not. That's the white throne judgment where the wheat and the tars will be separated from each other and then um, heaven and hell is decided. That's a different kind of judgment. But the Bema seat of Christ, okay, that judgment seat is a judgment for only believers. The unbelievers don't appear here. Okay? The unbeliever will never be found to appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Because in the first place, he's not qualified okay, to come into the place where his works are being judged. Okay? The works that are being judged are judged after salvation, not for salvation. The works that are being judged are judged after salvation and not for salvation. So saving faith is never on the basis of works. Saving faith is never on the basis of works. Our obedience is not the grounds for our acceptance with God now or in the age to come. Neither is our obedience the grounds for justification. I I need to say this because obedience is what qualifies you for rewards. Okay? Obedience is what qualifies you for rewards. But obedience does not qualify you for salvation. Of course, in, in, in this church we all know that. That your obedience did not qualify you for salvation. What qualified you for salvation? Somebody said the cross. Exactly. So the cross is what qualifies you for salvation. But obedience qualifies you for rewards. Okay? And salvation is the first step and then works is the next step. Salvation determines or, or, or it, it decides your fate. As to where you're going to spend eternity, heaven or hell. But your works determines the rewards you're going to receive in heaven. Praise God. That's why the Bible says in um, Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10, For in Christ Jesus we are his workmanship, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto what? Unto good works. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus Unto good works, unto good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now, I told you before that the created that you see there is the born again experience. So, you are created. For if any man is in Christ Jesus, he's a new what? Creation. So, the created there is the born again experience. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he has prepared beforehand. Now the good works is what you are meant to walk in after you have been created. And the good works is what decides your rewards. So did you get it? Do you all understand the concept? Okay. So, I want you to know something that God rewards you based on the things that you do. But at the same time, 
The things that you do are a function of His grace. Are you following this? I need to say this because many of you think you're offering God something that He never gave you so that you will be rewarded based on something He didn't give. But what you do now that will qualify you for rewards in the future is a function of the working grace of God now. So, even rewards that we talk about as good works is still on the foundation of grace. Did you get that? Okay, so that whatever you do is because of the working grace of God in your life. So, God is going to reward what he engraced you to do. Did you still, did you get that? Okay, now let me show you First Corinthians chapter 15 verse 10. First Corinthians chapter 15 verse 10. First Corinthians chapter 15 verse 10, it says, But by the grace of God, I am what I am. This is Paul talking now. He says, But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. But I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. So you see, the grace of God is what makes you do the works that you do. That qualifies you for reward eventually. So, it is not a function of your self-ability. Okay? What qualifies you for reward is not self-ability. It's not what you do by yourself. It is all a gift from God. So, God, this tells you that God wants to reward you. That's why He's giving you the grace. And that's the reason why we must not frustrate the grace of God. Now that's another topic because if I delve into frustrating the grace of God, I will begin to talk about you crucifying Christ the second time. But I don't want to go into that dimension. But um, you must not take for granted the grace of God that enables you to work. Many of you are not in synchronicity with the grace of God that has availed you to work in his house or to do good works that will eventually qualify you for rewards. I hope I'm not losing you. Do you understand what I'm saying? Okay, so which means that um, the grace of God is the foundation for your works. So can we say that together? The grace of God is the foundation for my works. Let's say it again. The grace of God is the foundation for my works. So whatever it is that you are meant to do now here on the earth that will qualify you for rewards, you already have abundant grace to do it. Praise God. Okay, Philippians chapter 2 verse 12. Philippians chapter 2 verse 12 says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Let's say together, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Now, the Bible says, work out your own salvation. Work out your own salvation. There is a grace on your life. There is a grace on your life. Work out your own salvation. Now, um, working out your own salvation is... Um, you can't work out what has not been worked in. Okay, we already know that. 
Jesus walked in salvation. He walked salvation in you. And then you are to walk out your own salvation. The question now is, why did the Bible use your own salvation? Isn't the salvation that he gave to every man the same thing? For the grace of God that bringeth salvation to all men, Titus 2.11, has appeared to all men, teaching us to deny ungodliness. Okay, so this salvation the Bible is talking about, is it not for everybody? Is it not the same salvation, the saving faith of, 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 of God? Is it not the same salvation? It is. But you see, you are being saved to do a specific work. So that's why the Bible says your own salvation. You need to be in um, synchronicity with the Holy Spirit to bring out what God has worked in you. Praise God. Verse 13. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. This establishes the point that um, you have been graced for the work. Paul says, it is the grace of God that labored with me. Did you get it? It is not you who was laboring. It was the grace of God that was laboring. That's why when you're working, whatever it is you're doing, it is the grace of God that is working with you. Hallelujah. It is not just your self-ability, not just your um, willpower. It is not just your, um, your, your, your intellectual ability. No, it is the grace of God. That's why you cannot effectively do the work of God without His grace. You cannot. You will wear out. In fact, you begin to slip into complaining. You begin to slip into many things and into flesh. You cannot. But if you're going to rely on the grace of God, He will walk out in you the things that He really wants you to do. Praise God. Okay, so... The first point I made is that the judgment seat of Christ is for believers. Yeah? Okay? The second point I made is that um, our obedience is not the grounds for our acceptance with God. Neither is it a ground for our justification. Okay? But our obedience is what qualifies us for rewards, but not salvation. The third point that I made now is that... um, it is not you trying to um, give God something that he didn't first give you and he has to recompense you. No. It is the grace of God that he gave you to do the work so that he can reward you. Do you understand that? Okay. So that's the point that we made and it's very important, very critical for you to understand it. That If God didn't want to reward you, he won't give you his grace. It's because he wants to reward you, that's why he's giving you the grace. Lift your hands up high and say, I have the grace of God. God. Say it one more time. Say, I am graced of God. Hallelujah. Now, I I want to talk about... um, um, Let me show you something in... Let me show you something in... Um, 1 Corinthians chapter 3 verse 11 1 Corinthians chapter 3 verse 11 Glory to Jesus 1 Corinthians 3 verse 11 For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid which is Jesus Christ Verse 12 
Now if any man builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, uh, each one's work will become clear. Each one's work will become clear. Now, many of the things that we do now cannot be decided as to whether they are um, um, approved of God or whether they are not approved of God. Okay? Um, Listen to this very carefully because it will be revealed by fire. You see that? It's going to be revealed by fire. And the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. Um... This fire the Bible is talking about is not talking about the fire of the end time. It's a fire that is more like probatory. It's going to decide what you do. The original translation says it's an ongoing revelation. It says because it will be revealed by fire. The original translation says it is being revealed by fire. And the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. Um, there is this um, talk on purgatory from the Roman Catholics. Um, they, they extrapolate this thought and they make it seem as though the fire is about the person. But in Paul's context, the fire is not necessarily about the person. But it's about the person's works. Okay? So, this fire is not a purification fire. It's not a fire that saves. Neither is it a fire that purges. It's not a fire that cleanses. It's a fire that stands as a probation to test how solid your work is. Okay, so this annuls every... um, purgatory um, idea because a lot of theologians have battles with this scripture. Okay, It speaks about loss. It doesn't speak about gain because purgatory will say that for the diseased who is not in Christ, I think the concept is like that, the diseased who is not in Christ is being prayed for and then eventually saved. Is that correct? Something like that, of that sort. And um, and But the Bible doesn't support that theory because here it's talking about loss, not gain. If the disease is going to be saved by a purification process that happens after death, that's talking about gain. But Paul clearly speaks about loss here. So let's look at the next verse, verse 14. It says, If if anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. You see that your works is what guarantees your rewards verse 15 if anyone's work is burned he will suffer loss but he himself will be saved yet so as through fire why does the bible say that the person's the person whose works is burned by the fire will still be saved why who can tell me why who can tell me why we just said it in the early introduction Hmm? Yeah, because the cross of Jesus worked out your salvation. Yes, so it's not about works. So if your works is good or your works is not good, 
it doesn't determine your salvation. That's why the Bible here says, but he himself will be saved. Yet so as through fire. Yet so as through fire means he will be saved as one who is escaping from fire. Okay? So he's going to suffer loss. To suffer loss there is the forfeiting of the crown that he would have had if his works were able to stand the test of fire. Did you get that? Okay. So let me talk about the crowns. There are about five different kinds of crowns that the Bible teaches. And um, the first one is called the imperishable crown. The imperishable crown. The imperishable crown. It's also called the incorruptible crown. It's also called the incorruptible crown. First Corinthians chapter nine, verse twenty-four to twenty-five. First Corinthians nine, verse twenty-four to twenty-five. Let's read it. It says, "Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain the prize." Let's read verse twenty-five together. Okay, look up the uh, multimedia screen so we can use one version. One to go. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. Verse 26. Therefore, I run thus, not with uncertainty, thus I fight, not as a one who beats the air. Verse 27. But I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. Now you see that Paul is talking about um, a crown that is peculiar to his ministry. Because he uses the word when I have preached to others, I myself should be disqualified if I do not bring to subjection my body those things that will stop me from doing my assignment. So Paul is more assignment-oriented in this scripture. Are you getting what I'm saying? Are you still here? This is also called the victor's crown. And let me explain to you why it's called the victor's crown. It is called the victor's crown because it is a kind of crown that is given to those who fulfill their purpose. This is a crown given to people who fulfill their purpose. This is a crown given to people who fulfill their assignments. This is a crown given to people who successfully accomplish their mission on the earth. The imperishable crown or the incorruptible crown is the one that is given to the believer who accomplish his mission on the earth. There are many competition, there are, there are many things that compete for the fulfilling of your destiny or the fulfillment of your destiny. But if you are able to stay stuck and focus on the prize and on your purpose and choose 
by the grace of God, of course, to fulfill your, your, your mission on the earth, you're going to receive this crown. So, but let's go back to verse 24 again. I, I, I want to show you something, verse, verse 24. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain the prize. The Bible says, run in such a way that you may obtain the prize. Live your life in such a way that nothing will stop you from fulfilling your purpose. I'm bringing it into application now. Do you understand that? So, say after me, I will live my life in such a way that nothing will stop me from fulfilling my purpose. Okay, so people who fulfill purpose are those who will receive this crown. Those who fulfill purpose now. I'm not talking about those who bear titles. I'm not talking about those who are ordained or no, no. those who fulfill their God-given assignments. Because Paul says that after I have preached, if I get distracted from preaching and I do something else, because Paul was a tent maker, if I do something else, I am not, he describes himself as not somebody who is throwing empty punches, as one who is beating the air. He says, he says about himself, woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. Because he knew that his assignment is to preach the gospel. So Paul preaching the gospel is his assignment. That, what, that was his purpose. That was his calling. So you must strive to find your assignment. Because if you are lost in what your assignment is, you may not even have this crown. Now, I hope you know that I'm not saying you, you will not go to heaven. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that this crown is given to people who have clarity about purpose. Clarity of, clarity of understanding of what the assignments on the earth is. This crown is given to those people. Praise God. And that's why when we teach purpose, we teach um, people to come into the fullness of their life's expression so that they prepare themselves for the possible rewards and crowns that they will receive for staying in purpose. Look at your neighbor and say, stay in purpose. Hallelujah. So do you understand this crown? Do you understand this crown? What is this crown called? The incorruptible crown or the imperishable crown. It is also called the victor's crown. Because, you see, in this life, you have to be a victor to stay on purpose. Yeah. You have to be a victor to stay on purpose. And that's why nothing should move you. Yeah. Nothing should move you. You must ask yourself, this job that I'm doing, this work that I'm doing, how is it linked to my purpose? How is it connected? If it is not connected, then you must... (laughs) You must understand that you have to run in such a way that you must obtain it. You say, run in such a way. So if there is a work that will not permit you to fulfill purpose, then it means you are not running in such a way. Do you understand that? So you run in such a way when you have weighed things by wisdom 
And by spiritual understanding, you weigh things and you know that this is going to deplete your strength. This is going to deplete your timing because you have limited time to work purpose. So if you have weighed things and you know this will help you to fulfill purpose, then you are running in such a way. So look at your neighbor and say, run in such a way. Hallelujah. So this crown is the victor's crown. And it's for those who successfully accomplish their mission on the earth. My prayer for you is that you will accomplish your purpose on the earth. Yeah. Amen. There is, a, there is a reward for it. And you see, when, when you are crowned, it's a decoration. It's a decoration. God is deliberately going to reward you for many things that you do and the good things that you do. But we need to know how these rewards are going to come so that we can fight deliberately and we can throw our punches deliberately. Do you understand? And that's why this teaching is being done. Because if you do not know where the crowns are going or how or why the crown is given, you may be doing things as a believer not knowing the consequences of the things that you're doing. But if you're doing things, good works, and you understand the consequences, you put your heart there. Because where your heart is, there your treasure lies. Or, how does it put it? (laughs) I said it the other way. Where the treasure is, that's where your heart is. So if you understand that fulfilling purpose is treasure, you will put your heart there. Praise God. So say after me, say, I will put my heart in purpose. Amen. We don't have much time. Let's move on. Number two. Number two. The second crown is called the crown of rejoicing. The crown of rejoicing. The crown of rejoicing. First Thessalonians chapter 2 verse 19. This crown is also called the soul winner's crown. The soul winner's crown. This is also called the soul winner's crown. The crown of rejoicing. First Thessalonians 2 verse 19. I read, For what is our hope, or joy, or crown of rejoicing? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? Look at verse 10. Let me show you something in verse 10. Same First Thessalonians chapter 2 verse 10. You are witnesses. And God also, how devoutly and justly and blamelessly we behave ourselves among you who believe. Then go back to verse 19. Verse 19, it says, For what is our hope, or joy, or crown of rejoicing? Is it not even in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at His coming? The Bible says that heaven rejoices when every soul is one. Okay, so the person who has a desire, the person who has a willingness to preach the gospel or reach out to someone the message of the kingdom of God is going to receive the soul winner's crown. And that's why um, we must stir up in our hearts the desire for the mandate that was given to us, go into the world, preach the gospel and disciple nations. So, So, that desire... Somebody's asking now, um, is, it, is it the amount of souls that you win that qualifies you for a crown? Is there a particular amount of souls that you win that qualifies you for this crown? 
It's not necessarily in the amount of souls you win that qualifies you for the crown. But it is actually in the desire and the willingness to reach out to somebody. The readiness. Praise God. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 9, I I want us to look at that. One of the armor that God, uh, that, that Paul exhorts the believer to wear. It talks about and you masters do... Okay, let's go over, uh, to verse verse 11 or so. Put on the whole armor of God, yes. That you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Verse 12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Verse 13. Therefore take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand here the Bible doesn't say you should fight it says you should do what you're wearing armor to do what stand you're not wearing armor to no you're wearing armor to what stand which means that the victory has already been decided praise God so you're not you're not called to fight he has won the victory already he did it already. Hallelujah. It says, and having done all to stand, full stop. That's why there's a difference between fighting the devil and resisting the devil. You don't fight him. You resist him. Fighting the devil is fighting him on the same platform. Of which means that there is a 50-50 percentage of who may receive the victory. That's fighting. But resisting is you already have the 100% and you're standing on your ground of victory and you're saying no. So you're on two different pedestals. Did you get that? You're not on the same plane. Resisting, you're standing on top of here. He's there. He's trying to come up here, pushing him. That's resist. So he says, stand, not fight. Praise God. Verse 14. Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth. I'm going to do a series on the armor of God one of these days. Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, verse 15, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Now, this shodding your feet with the preparation of the gospel of Jesus, is talking about the readiness to spread the gospel. There is a crown for the heart that is ready at all times to speak the good news to someone. There's a crown for that. There's a crown for the person who is eager for an opportunity to explain the gospel to someone. There's a crown for that. So the the question is, Like I said to you before, when you understand how the crowns are going to come and why the crowns will come, you begin to channel your good works into the things that will qualify you for the crown. Praise God. So, how is the crown of rejoicing going to come? The readiness of heart to preach the gospel to the the unsaved. That's the way it's going to come. Paul plants Apollo's waters, but God what? Gives the increase. That's why I told you that it is not necessarily about how many souls you win. It's about just that readiness. 
Because the readiness will produce fruits when the harvest is ripe. Praise God. Say after me, say, I, I am ready at all times to preach the gospel to someone. The Bible says, do the work of an evangelist. He said, be ready in season and out of season. It speaks about a ready heart. You have unsaved friends that are around you. How ready is your heart? How willing is your heart to talk to them about Christ? Is that the first thing you think about? If, if that's the first thing you think about, there's a crown for that. Praise God. And of course, consequently, while you do that, there is also a crown. I mean, there is also the winning of souls. And when souls are won, God is happy. Heaven rejoices. And then you are blessed with a crown in heaven. Hallelujah. I mean, I, I, I remember it was some weeks ago, one lady came to, she's not here now, she came to uh, Abuja, she was just transferred to work, and she sent, sent a message to me and said, Pastor Phil, I've been seeing the work, you know, but you may not know me, but I'm, I'm passionate about God, I'm passionate about the things that we're doing here in Abuja. I, I was one of your converts in Okada. That gave me a lot of joy. There is so much of joy and so much of peace when someone tells you, you led me to Christ. Praise God. Strive for it. Strive for it. Strive for it. Let people hear the gospel of hope and you leading them to Christ. Let that be your joy. There's a crown for it. It's called the crown of what? Rejoicing. It's also called the soul winner's crown. Praise God. So let's strive to receive that crown. We're going to talk about evangelism as our mandate very soon. Because when we're rugged about evangelism as a supreme task, you will see that many of your giftings will be expressed in the place of witnessing. Because what you're doing is you're witnessing to someone. Do you know what witnessing is? Witnessing is bringing an experience that was in the past into the present. So if I'm witnessing to an unbeliever, I'm bringing the experience of the resurrection. Hallelujah. I'm the only one who got that. Because the way you're looking at me, I don't get it. Do you understand what I'm saying? And that's why evangelism or reaching out to those who are not saved is one of the easy ways to see the power of God flow. Because you are talking about the demonstration of the resurrection power of God. Faith in the Christ that died. Faith in the Christ that was buried. Faith in the Christ that rose again. When you talk about that, you see the power of God. It's easy to heal the sick. Because when you preach Jesus, you preach the power of God. You see the power of God. Hallelujah. So the soul winner's crown is a ready heart to always want to preach the gospel. Check yourself. Do I have this? If not, I don't think I'm near this crown yet. But I want to encourage you, strive to do, to do these things. Strive for these things. Let the working of the Holy Spirit... You know, there, there's no pressure. The pressure is on the Holy Spirit. Okay? The pressure is on the Holy Spirit. There's no ambition. Now let me explain this. It is the Holy Spirit who is going to work this thing in you. Do you understand it? So what you're going to say is, Spirit of God, work out in me the desire for a ready heart. That's all. And you will see, He will begin to work out that desire. He says, walk out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. So God is actually the one working. 
So it means that there is a cooperation, there is a synchronization of you and the Holy Spirit working in the manifestation of your giftings or in the manifestation of your ministry. Praise God. Did you get that? Okay, let's move to the next one quickly. The third crown is called the crown of life. The crown of life. The crown of life. James chapter 1 verse 12. The crown of life. James chapter 1 verse 12. This is also called the Matthias crown. I would explain to you why it's called the Matthias crown. It's also called the Matthias crown. The crown of life. It says, blessed is the man who endures temptation. For when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. That's why you see now, this is a promised crown to those who love the Lord. It's not talking about unbelievers. But let me explain this crown to you. This crown, blessed is the man who endures, what does the Bible say? Say it loud. Blessed is the man who endures what? Temptation. Say temptation. What do you notice about that word? Hmm? Uh, no, about the word, about the temptation. What do you notice about that word? Hmm? You just did something. Okay, the semicolon. No, no, it's, that's not where I'm going. Sorry? It's not plural. Thank you, Pastor Ideal. The word temptation here is not plural, but it is singular. Okay, so the Bible says, blessed is the man who endures what? Temptation. It didn't say, blessed is the man who endures temptations. So it means there is a primary temptation that the Bible is talking about. It's not talking about temptations. Temptations into doing what is wrong. Temptations into falling into sin. That's not what the Bible is saying here. There is a crown for those who will endure temptation. And the question is, what is this temptation? This temptation is the temptation that is in attempt to steal your faith. Not the temptation that is in attempt to make you do wrong. Are you getting this? Okay, so this temptation is the one that will cause the believer or drive the believer into apostasy. The one that will draw the believer into unbelieving. That's the temptation that the Bible is talking about. Not the temptation of you doing wrong or you falling into sin or you that's why he uses a singular word temptation somebody say temptation temptation so if you endure now what what is being tempted your faith your faith is being tempted um, let me show you a scripture in 1 John chapter 5 verse 16. 1 John chapter 5 verse 16. 1 John chapter 5 verse 16. It says, if anyone sees his brother sinning a sin which does not lead to death. Huh? If anyone sees his brother which sinning a sin. Sinning a sin. 
I love that. <laughs> if anyone sees his brother sinning a sin which does not lead to death, it means that there is a sin that does not lead to death. And there is a sin that leads to death. He will ask and he will give him life for those who commit sin not leading to death. There is a sin leading to death. I do not say that you should pray about that. You see, because that type is not the type you pray about. You don't pray about it. You only fit it. I don't know if you get what I'm saying. Okay, so there is a sin leading to death and there is a sin not leading to death. So, what crown is this? What crown did I say this is? Crown of life is given to those who maintain faith. Who keep on believing. The crown of life is given to those who keep on believing. So let's say that together. The crown of life is given to those who keep on believing. Let me show you something in Hebrews chapter 10 verse 35. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 35. Therefore do not cast away your confidence which has what? Let's read the scripture together. One to go. Therefore which has what? Great reward. What is this reward called? The crown of life. Don't cast away your confidence. What is your confidence? Your faith. He said, don't cast away your faith that has great reward. So, there will be a temptation for you to stop believing. Now, there is what we call the maturity of sin. When sin matures and it delivers, it produces death, which is the end point of you losing faith and at the end of the day, you losing your salvation, not because of the sin, but because of the unbelief that the sin produced. Do you understand what I'm saying? And that's the danger with someone who keeps playing with sin. He's playing with something that can kill him. Do you understand what I'm saying? Because it gets to a point where your faith begins to get weak. It's called the danger of sin. So when sin matures, it matures to a point where you have lost faith completely. And at that point, you are in apostasy. So that is why, whatever temptation that comes your way, in the trial of your faith. Now, many uh, businessmen fall for this temptation. Because they have to change their name and they have to change their faith to be given business. So they abandon their faith and then they accept another faith. Okay? Maybe they go into the Islamic faith and then they lose their salvation because of that. That's a temptation they fell into. That's the temptation that scripture is talking about. Hallelujah. Verse, let's go back to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. Oh yeah, wait, wait, hold on, hold on. James 1 says, Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin when it is full grown. God bless you for bringing that scripture. This man is in the spirit. You are a Bible study teacher. Clap for him. Clap for him. So add it to your notes. Add it to your notes. I didn't add that to my notes. 
But it says, when it is full grown, it brings forth death. What is the death here? Huh? Say it loud. Unbelief. So when sin matures, it produces unbelief. That's the danger of sin. So when we say Satan is after your faith, we're not just talking about Satan trying to attack you. He's attacking you and you think that he's doing that because he wants to make you feel bad. No, it's your faith he's looking for. I've told you about the decoy before. He's doing this to you. Meanwhile, he's looking at that. And you are focusing on this, but he knows that one day you're going to give in in that. So you must keep your faith intact all the time. Your confidence in God, knowing that Jesus is your Savior. Never a day will you abandon your faith in Christ. If you keep on believing, you're going to receive the crown of life. Hallelujah. Come on, say after me, say, I will keep on believing. Let's go back to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 35. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 35. Verse 36. For you have need of endurance. You see that? You have need of endurance. So that after you have done the will of God. What is the will of God? After you have become born again. After you have been saved. Don't draw back. Stay there. For Paul says, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. For it's the power of God unto salvation to the Jews first and then the Gentiles. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. It is from faith to faith. So you are growing in faith to faith. You are staying in faith. That's what it means. Hallelujah. It says, for you have need of endurance, so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. I don't have time to explain this. Verse 37. For yet a little while, and he who is coming will come and will not tarry. Verse 38. Now the just shall live by faith. You know what this means? The just shall live by what? Faith. The just shall not live by his works. That's what the Bible is talking about. It's not saying the just shall cast out demons by faith. Or the just shall call money by faith. Yeah, there is what we call the law of double application. All that applies. But the primary interpretation of this scripture in context is that the just shall live by faith. Meaning that if I believe to be saved, I have to keep believing to stay saved. Do you understand what I'm saying? I have to keep I must not draw back in faith. I must stay in faith. That's why when they look at you and they say, brother, how is the faith? And then you respond, I am bouncing on. That's the way, that's the way I grew up to hear it in the church where we were before. Amen. It says, now the judge shall live by faith, but if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. If anyone draws back from faith, That's what the Bible is saying. My soul has no pleasure in him. So if you stay in faith and you endure all the temptations, you're going to receive the crown of life. Hallelujah. Verse 39. But we are not of those who draw back 
to perdition, to apostasy. I'm not of those who draw back, but of those who believe to the saving of the soul. What it means that I will keep on believing until the final salvation of my soul. It is called the end of faith. The salvation of my soul, the end of faith in First Peter. So I am not of them that, so say this after me, say I'm not of them that draw back. But I am of them that keeps believing to the saving of the soul. Hallelujah. Nothing will stop my faith. Remember the story of the wicked judge, the woman who was praying to that wicked judge who bugged the wicked judge. And then Jesus gave that parable. And at the end of the parable he said, when the master comes, will he still find faith on the earth? Meaning that when he comes, will he still find you keep believing? Is he still going to find you believing? That's what he's saying. Hallelujah. Praise God. Okay, let me wrap up this thing. Time is fast spent. So this is called the Matthias crown. I am going to die in faith. That's what it means. I'm going to die in faith. So that even at gunpoint, when they ask you to decide your conviction about Jesus, you're ready to die in faith. Remember when Stephen was stoned? He was stoned and while he was going up to heaven, he saw Jesus standing. I believe that Jesus was presenting to Stephen the crown of life. This man who maintained his faith in the midst of adversity. You know, you see, that's why I told you that we're living in a very competitive world where there are a lot of things that will battle and compete for your faith. But you must stay in the faith. Book your neighbor says, stay in the faith. Hallelujah. Don't ever put yourself in the position where your faith is shaken. That's why when you come to church, when you come here, in the assembly of the believer, it consolidates on your belief. It helps you to keep believing. I don't know if you get what I'm saying. It helps you believe more. It strengthens your conviction. Working in church, being here, whatever it is you do, it helps you to steady your conviction. That's why you must not take it for granted. Praise God. Alright. Um, the next crown is the crown of righteousness. Second Timothy chapter 4 verse 8. 2 Timothy chapter 4 verse 8. It says, Finally there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, and not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Also, somebody say also, to those who have loved his appearing. Now, this crown is given to those people who are eager for the second coming of Jesus. Do you get it? This crown is, I, I told you that if you understand what produces the crown, if you're wise, you would ask the Holy Spirit to work out these desires in you. This crown is given to those who are eager for the coming of, gone are those days when we preach the second coming of Jesus and people are afraid. No. Okay, let me use the perfect example. The perfect example is a woman who is about to get married. She's eager for her wedding day. 
the man who is about to get married. He's eager for the day where he will become one with his wife. He can, that's why some of us say, Lord, please don't come until we're married. <laughs> Do you understand? What we're, we're eager. We're eager for that day. After all the preparation. After all the, having said all of, having, what happened? <laughs> you know, sometimes the words disappear from my mouth. And you would only know when you stand here to preach. <laughs> Praise God. But you see, there is this longing, this desire, oh Lord, I'm eager for the day you will come. We don't teach these things again. But there is a crown for it. Those who loved his appearing. A crown of righteousness is given to them. Now let me explain this crown. This eagerness is reflected in the life. So that the life will show that you are keeping yourself for somebody. I don't know if you get what I'm saying. Your husband traveled and you are the wife. Your husband says to you, I am coming back. And then you as the wife, you don't want to contaminate yourself with somebody else. You are waiting for him. So he reflects in your actions. Because you know he's coming back. Is that correct? So if your husband was dead and he's not going to come back, your actions may change because there will be an openness to receive another. Am I making sense? Pastor Adil, am I making sense? The vacuum without expectation will change the lifestyle. But the vacuum with expectation will also change the lifestyle. So this crown is reflected in the life. So that the life will produce a righteous living because the master is coming. Are you getting what I'm saying? So this crown is given to those who endure the temptation to live right. If you choose, now this is where the word temptations apply. The crown that you receive for not falling into temptations. Because you are very conscious of the second coming of the master. The first thing I talked about is temptation. What is that crown called? The crown of life. This second one, this, this other one is, the, is, is enduring temptations. Which is the crown of what? Righteousness. There is a crown given to those who endure. Who have a heart to want to stay pure because they know that he's coming back again. They are in love with his appearing. They are eager for his appearing. Hallelujah. Let me show you one scripture to buttress that point. First John chapter three verse one. First John chapter three verse one. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us. That we should be called the children of God. Therefore the world does not know us. Because it did not know him. Verse 2. Beloved, now we are children of God. And it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him. I am already like him. That's why it says, but we know that when he is revealed. I'm not expecting to see someone who I don't look like. He said, we know. Now, this we know is we idol. I'm aware. 
Do you understand it? I'm aware that when he comes, when he is revealed, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. We shall see him as he is. I'm eager for the coming of Jesus. I can't wait till he comes. I can't wait to drop this life of burden, sorrow, and wait till I am united with my Savior. My dad said to me one day, he said, when Jesus comes, that's when the people of the world will know who the true rulers are. Because the believer is the true rulers. You know, we're all going to reign with him 1,000 years here. Here. Not there, not in heaven, but here on the earth. And those who have been faithful to the work of God, will he will give cities and sectors and dominion over places. Hallelujah. So I'm eager for his coming because things will change. Your position, your status will change. It's not about how much you have now. It's not about how many people know you. It's not about your fame. It's not about how many clothes you bought. It's not about what car you are driving here. It's about your relevance in the kingdom. I'm eager for his coming. Because our light will be revealed in full. This is the earnest expectation of the creation. Hey, he's waiting for the manifestation of the sons of God. This is why the creation is groaning. The creation is groaning, which means that all the things God created is groaning, eagerly waiting for the second coming of God. The plants and the trees, they are not the way, when God made them, they are not the way they are looking now. The fall made them look the way they are looking. When God, when Jesus comes back, you will see the apple tree in its real glory. You will see the lion in its real glory. You will see the animals in their real glory. So these creations or these creatures are waiting for the coming of God. How much more you? Because we know that when he comes, we shall be like him. That's why it talks about salvation in three phases. I have been saved. I am being saved. And I will be saved. I will be saved. It's talking about the salvation of your body. Where incorruption is going to wear, I mean where corruption is going to wear incorruption. You will see yourself in your real glory. I'm eager for it. Hey! Where I move in dimensions. I'm eager for it. If what Christ did for me is better than what Adam had. You know, Jesus didn't come to take you back to Adam. Because he compares himself and Adam. He says, if Adam who made the whole world be in sin has done this, how much more we who have received the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness. So he's saying how much more because there's a comparison between Jesus and Adam. Did you get that? So you must know that there is a dimension you will walk in when he comes back. And that dimension is, is there is a divine sovereign pause until the second coming where that will begin. Don't want to go into that. Praise God. Let's, let's keep on moving. Verse 3. Now look at, look at verse 3. Verse 3 says, And everyone who has this hope, what is the hope? The hope of his coming. Everyone who has this hope in him. 
purifies himself. Just as he is pure. So, which means that my expectation of the coming of Jesus makes me purify myself. Just like the man who is waiting for his wife to come. Or just like the woman who is waiting for her husband to come. That expectation is changing her lifestyle. The expectation of Jesus is affecting my lifestyle. I'm not going to mingle into things that he will not be happy about when he comes. There's a crown for it. It's called the crown of righteousness. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. He who has this hope in him purifies himself. Let's say he who has this hope in him purifies himself. You see, that's why holiness is a fruit. It's not a root. Holiness is a byproduct of understanding. Holiness is a byproduct of revelation. Time up, Abby. Don't worry, I'll be up. I'll be up soon. The last crown, the crown of glory. The crown of glory. This is called the elder's crown. The elder's crown. First Peter chapter five. From verse 1. This is called the elder's crown. It says, The elders who are among you, I exalt. I, who am a fellow elder. You see, eldership is not determined by age. Eldership is determined by knowledge and experience. The experience that is a function of knowledge. That's eldership. So it has nothing to do with with what? Age. Timothy was an elder, even though he was 17. He was, he was a bishop at the age of 17. And that's why Paul wrote to him, he said, let no man despise your youth, but be thou an example to the believers. And eldership is not in how long you've been saved. You can be six months old. That's why I celebrate Kele so much. Her life has changed and is a reflection of the saving power of God. You know, when I met her, she wasn't probably accustomed to these things. And she wrote the exam, she became the highest. Even higher than her sister. It's amazing. Amen. Eldership is not about how long you've been saved. No. There's a lady in school then... Um, I knew when she got saved. I knew when she got saved. When she got saved, she went to a Bible school. We were going on break. When she came back, um, back after the holiday, the same person I left and said goodbye to during the holiday is not the same person that came back to school. She became an elder over a short period of time. So eldership is not about how long or how old you are. It's not by being bald. No, but Pastor Shola is an elder. In every right. The elders who are among you I exalt. 
I who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed. Now watch this. Verse 2. Shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly. Verse 3. Nor as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. Verse 4. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. So this is what some people call it the pastor's crown. This crown is for pastors who build the faith of others. Now when I mean pastors, I'm not necessarily saying those who are called pastors. This crown is for leaders who are overseeing two, three, four people that are building the faith of those people. This crown, you are appointed into a position and you are in positional leadership and there are people who are under you. You are taking time to build their faith. You are taking time, like I love what Pastor Paul is doing. Taking time to pray with his people. You guys are still on fasting. Taking time to pray with them. Share the word of God with them. He's going to receive a crown of glory for spending time with them. So it is not just limited to Pastor Phil. Oh yeah, I'm going to enjoy this crown. Yeah, I will. But it is not limited to me. It is a crown that now, anybody you meet and you are eager to teach the person the word... And you are eager to establish the person's faith in Christ. You're going to receive the crown of glory. That's what it means. And how does this start? The root is the desire to learn the word of God. Count them of double honor, those that labor in the word of God. Praise God. So do you understand the five crowns? Now this should stir up a passion in you that you must not leave anything undone. Desire to have these five crowns. Desire to have them. Look at someone. Desire to preach the word to the person. Teach the person. This is what the Bible means. There was a man called Apollos in the Bible. And Apollos was just preaching. He was just preaching. He was preaching a kind of gospel. And there's this people called Priscilla and Aquila. They called Apollos and said, Apollos, come. He came. The Bible says he explained to them, or they explained to Apollos more details of the scripture. They established his faith on the doctrine of Christ. What I'm doing here, I'm strengthening your faith on the doctrine of Christ. That qualifies me for the crown of glory. And it is in your place to having received these teachings that I'm giving you, you also do likewise. What you have received, what you have Gotten from me, I, I commit unto faithful people who will also teach others in turn. So it is for you to teach people in your workplace, teach your family members on the things of the gospel. Are you still here? So say after me, I'm going to strive to receive these five crowns. First crown, what is it? The, the imperishable crown. The second one, the crown of rejoicing. The third one, the crown of life. The fourth one, the crown of righteousness, the fifth one, crown of glory. Praise God. May the Holy Spirit work in you the desire to do this. May the Holy Spirit be your partner to express these things.
that you be you being created into good works will abound in every good work in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. This concludes this message. Thank you for listening and for more information about the Standpoint Church, visit our social media platform on www.facebook.com slash standpointabj, twitter.com slash standpointabj, instagram.com slash standpointabj, and on soundcloud.com slash standpointabj.